You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay, tonight I will be reading from Romans 3, 21 through 26. Now, but now, apart, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christina. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm um, just honored to be before you and, and looking forward to jumping into tonight's passage I just want to echo Ryan's welcome to you if you're visiting with us. So grateful that you're here. Uh, If I could serve you in any way, I'd be happy to do so. I want to add one more announcement, and then we'll jump in. Um, Every Christmas season, we ask you to consider giving above and beyond what you give to Mercy View to a Christmas mission offering. And we want to do that again beginning today to invite you into that. And uh, we are going to take a Christmas mission offering over the next uh, month or so uh, for a very, very special and important uh, ministry here in our own city that you have supported before, you've heard us talk about before, uh, but we want to really bless them this year. And it's it's an organization called City of Hope. City of Hope is an organization locally here that uh, serves those who are homeless in our city. It's led by a great man of God, a good friend of ours, uh, leaders here at Mercy View. His name is John Most. John uh, was uh, on staff at uh, River Oaks for a period of time, is now on staff at another Presbyterian church out west, Tulsa. And uh, John is absolutely passionate about bringing the good news of the gospel, both in word and in deed, to the homeless in Tulsa. And so this Christmas, we want to invite you into this opportunity to give to our Christmas mission offering for City of Hope. City of Hope uh, is run solely on donations uh, from, from people like you and, and churches like us. And so um, the way that you can give, it's very simple. If you give online, it's really simple. On our online giving platform called Realm, there is a little pull-down menu, and you'll see an option to do it that way. Uh, if you would desire to give to City of Hope in another way, um, I'm going to ask you to talk to this guy right here. Uh, John, raise your hand, Pastor John, uh, pastor over stewardship, and he will let you know how best to uh, do that. Those will be the two ways to, uh, to give to this. We'll be excited to share with you what your giving look like after we get it all in, after this process is over. But just want to ask you to pray and consider what it might look like for you to give to a very... Um, a very meaningful ministry in our own city that are passionate about the same things that we are and are doing great work. Well, um, I've told parts of this story before, 
Um, but uh, as you may remember, some of you, when I asked my wife to marry me, I did it spontaneously. Uh, I was uh, traveling to visit her in central Missouri. Uh, I was over Christmas break, and on my way there, it was about a six-hour trip, I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. Like, I didn't want to just drive to see her. I wanted to, like, be with her the entire, you know, holiday season, and I, I just, I wanted to spend my life with her. But um, on the way there, I thought, I, I think I might be ready to marry her. Now, we hadn't really talked about that, but uh, by the time I got to uh, Central Missouri, I had made my decision, and I knew I needed to pop the question. The only problem was I didn't have a ring. Now, that didn't stop me. I went ahead and asked her to marry me, and I apologized that I didn't have a ring, but I promised her that I would make it up to her. So we were, at the time, going to school in St. Louis, the St. Louis area, and so by the time Christmas break was over, we got back into that next semester early, um, I invited Holly to our favorite Italian restaurant in, uh, in St. Louis, the Macaroni Grill. <laughs> Which, by the way, I am so frustrated that the one here closed. Anybody else frustrated about that? I think uh, it closed in like 2014. Man. Anyways. Um, we went to the macaroni grill, and uh, she did not know that I had went and found a ring for her. And I uh, found at that moment in the, the evening, and I got down on my knee in the middle of the restaurant, and I asked her to marry me again with the ring. Now, the thing that um, I was a little nervous about was that I had talked to a friend of hers who told me her ring size. And I thought, man, I really hope she got that right because that's what I got the ring sized for, for Holly in Macaroni Grill. Now, I didn't know for sure, and I knew I wouldn't know for sure until I put that thing on her finger. And I was really nervous. I thought, man, it could be too big, too small, it would ruin the moment. By God's grace, my friend got it right, and the ring fit perfectly. I remember looking down at that ring and it started to catch the light, you know, in the room and I just, she, she was moving around, she was so happy to have it on her finger and every t time she would kind of move her hand, I saw a different facet of that, that diamond and it was so, so pretty, this little marquee diamond. She was able to put it on her finger and then we were able to enjoy it together because it really was a beautiful diamond. In his book, Gospel Deeps, Jared Wilson says this, the gospel's content, Jesus' sinless life, his sacrificial death, and bodily resurrection is deep and multifaceted, but so are the implications and the accomplishments of the content. He goes on to say, through the historical work of the gospel, future blessings pour out and stream out in abundance. The cross and the empty tomb are a supernova. And in the gospel, there are supernovas within supernovas. Or we may say that the gospel is a diamond, a precious jewel with many different facets, each with brilliance and vision of its own. Tonight we are continuing a series in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans called Reign of Grace. 
And after a few weeks of, of really kind of heavy lifting, we were looking at the human condition, the, the sinfulness that you and I uh, have to face up to. It's a part of understanding and appreciating and ultimately experiencing the gospel. The sunrise of grace begins to rise this week. And I hope that you will be encouraged as we walk through this next section. The great theologian Martin Luther actually said about this passage tonight that this is the central text in the entire New Testament. I hope I can do justice to, to Martin Luther's words, but as we enter into this passage in Romans tonight, we are going to see facets of the gospel diamond that I pray will change you on the spot tonight. I pray that you will be so overwhelmed with the beauty and the majesty and the weightiness of God's grace to you through his gospel by looking at some different facets of the gospel that you will be transformed by the time that you leave here tonight. I believe the word can do that. I believe that the spirit can do that in our time here this evening. And as we do that, I want to invite you to really just see one thing. And here it is. God declares the sinner not guilty through grace by faith alone. Let me just say that again. God declares the sinner not guilty through grace alone by faith alone. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Romans 3 there, beginning in verse 21. I want you to notice the very beginning of his uh, wording there in, in verse 21. He begins by using this phrase, but now. And what Paul is doing is he is shifting gears for us because he wants to, again, we're going to see this tonight, that the, the, the sunrise of grace begins to uh, warm us from these last few weeks of, of real darkness and, and difficulty and weightiness. Once again, though, what he does for us is he's, he's reminding us of something that he's already said but wants to drive down deep to us even in this passage, and it's this, listen. Righteousness does not come from what you do. That's what that phrase, apart from the law, means. All right, so righteousness does not come from what you do. It comes from somewhere else. So, but what Paul is going to do in this passage is he's going to begin to spell out for us, and we're going to look at this kind of phrase by phrase, um, some different aspects of what it means that righteousness doesn't come from what we do by looking at some facets of the gospel diamond. So, look there with Wood, beginning at verse 22 now. And here's the first phrase. The righteousness of God. And here's the phrase, through faith. Here's Paul's first point. The righteousness of God, we just said this, does not come through a work on our part, but as Paul says here, by faith. It comes to us through our uh, expression, our, our, uh, the, the way in which we, we uh, act out our faith before God. Faith is what Paul is contrasting against works. And that's really the core of Paul's argument about the gospel. The phrase through faith introduces the essential truth that the righteousness of God comes by means of or because of 
faith. What is faith? It is to believe. It is to place your full trust in, to rely upon or to have confidence in something. And in particular here, we are placing our confidence in the righteousness of God. Now, the next phrase there in verse 22 is, is very important. It says that this is all done in Christ. See, people are not saved just through faith in something. They are saved through faith in someone. Okay, a person is not just trusting or relying on or having confidence by itself. Um, it must have an object. And, and, and Paul is saying that you trust in someone or rely upon someone when you do this through faith in Christ. So your trust is to put your faith in Christ. It means that you have turned away from trusting yourself. It means you are now looking to his work for what he has done for you. And salvation then comes to those who turn from trusting themselves to trusting Christ. Now the next phrase, look there in verse 22 again. Let me read that. He says, for all who believe. Now don't miss this. If through faith is the means, and if in Christ is the object, then for And verse 23 together, it is a beautiful picture of how God rescues sinners. In fact, let's do this. Let's take it in reverse. You are a sinner. You have fallen short of the glory of God, the holiness of God, the perfection of God. But through faith, the offer of redemption is given to all who believe. The good news of the gospel is that if you believe... God will save you. That's simple. And I, I really want you to remember what I just said, particularly as we get into some places later in Romans where we have to really wrestle with the sovereignty of God and salvation. Don't ever forget what we're talking about right here. Even as we talk about that, God is saying that for all who believe, another way you could say this, for any who believe, He saves sinners. If you believe, God will save you. It's now, the next phrase, it's there in verse 23. Look there. It says that, that they are then justified. Now, this is a very important word. We're going to talk a little bit more about this here in just a moment. But the word justified or justification is a big, uh, you know, theological word that the Bible uses. And so we need to understand what it means. Justified is really a legal term for a declaration of righteousness. Biblically, it is a declaration of possessing God's righteousness. To be justified means that God, through the work of Christ, through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection, declares you not guilty. He declares you to be innocent of the sin that you've committed when you believe on him. If you're a believer here tonight, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Verse 24 is important. He says, they are justified 
by his grace as a gift. See, the beauty of justification is that the declaration of forgiveness comes in that way. The clarion call of the Reformation was faith alone through Christ alone by grace alone. We've said it this way already come from human merit. In fact, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas together in our families with friends and um, there's a lot of gift giving, right? And I, I know for a fact, because it's true for me, it's true for my wife, it's true for our kids, when we give each other gifts, we just receive them. They're freely given. Just, just giving the gift to me, I don't have any, I didn't work for it, I didn't do anything to merit, it was given to me graciously by someone else. And that person wanted me to experience it that way. They didn't want me to think, man, I've got to pay this person back or I've got to find a way to, you know, uh, you know, get a gift to try to equal out the gift that they gave me. No, no, no. They want me to experience that gift freely too. It's the same way with God. When God justifies you, He does it freely. There are no strings attached. It cannot be purchased by you. It cannot be earned by you. Here's why. God wants the beauty of His grace to be the focal point in salvation, not you. Let me just say that again. God wants the beauty of His grace to be the very center of what you love about salvation, not you. Now the next phrase wraps up verse 24. Look there. It says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now this idea of redemption in the original languages that this would have been written in is a word that was used for buying back prisoners of war or slaves or condemned criminals criminals by the payment of a ransom and what was the ransom in the gospel that we're talking about here in God's plan of redemption it was the willing and the personal sacrifice of Jesus Jesus redeems those who trust in him by becoming the ransom. By the way, if you didn't know this, the ransom should have been you. Because the wages of sin are death, your death. That's what would have paid for your redemption. But instead of making you pay for it, God sends Jesus to become the ransom for you. You heard Trey talk about this a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is the great exchange. Now the next phrase in verse 25, and this is a big one, it's another big theological term. Look there, it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word propitiation means the restoration of the relationship between God and man through something called the atonement. The atonement, another way of saying the appeasement of God's wrath against sin. But I want you to notice something. It says that this propitiation was put forward by God himself. What does that mean? I love how the great theologian D.A. Carson says it in his book, Scandalous. Listen to this. Propitiation 
God the Father sets forth Jesus as their propitiation to make himself propitious. God is both the subject and the object of propitiation. God is the one who provides the sacrifice precisely as a way of turning aside his own wrath. God the Father is thus the propitiator and the propitiated, and God the Son is the propitiation. That's a lot of propitiations in that quote. But, but I don't want you to miss what Carson is saying here. He's saying when God, in his foreknowledge, before even man was created, he knew that the solution had to be himself. So he sent God in his, the form of his son, earth, to be our ransom. Guys, it's mind-blowing stuff. It's amazing. This really gets to the very core. This is one of the facets, but this gets to the very core of the gospel. God made a way where there was no way by providing his son who could. It's amazing. Now the next phrase, by his blood. This is one of those things in the Christian faith that some know because I've, I've had conversations with people that are just like, I just don't get the blood thing, Brad. Why are we talking about being washed in the blood and there is a fountain filled with blood? It seems kind of, you know, it just seems a little uh, morbid. Friends, part of the issue with our thinking in that way is we actually aren't understanding the, the weight of the cross, what Jesus did for us. The propitiation that God put forward son was nothing less than the physical death of his own son. And that phrase Hebrews 9 verse 12 says it this way, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. It required the death of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that makes propitiation possible. Without the blood, there is no propitiation. The death of Jesus, though, through his blood, appeased the wrath of God for our sin. And then Paul returns to a familiar idea. Make sure, he's going to drill it down again, that our actions versus God's actions don't secure salvation for us. And I want you to notice that Paul uses this very important word to describe your role in all of this. Receive. Sometimes people get a little hung up on like, okay, Brad, wait a second. I, I'm, the Bible says that I'm supposed to believe in Jesus. Isn't that an action? Isn't that a work? Am I in any way salvation in that way? I really love the word receive because really I think it captures the non-work that it takes to be saved. You merely receive. 
He's used words like believe. He's used words like grace and gift. And here he really is adding another word that may be the most important word to, to me as I think about how we think about our, our responsibility in salvation and, and God's sovereignty in it. But he is trying to just once again drill down for us that God's grace is not something you can earn. It's not something you work for. It is received. In other words, it's already been taken care of. Your role is to receive it by faith. Now, Paul concludes this section in verses 25 and 26 by really summarizing what he just said in just a little different way. And I want you to notice a couple of things. Back in verse 21, Paul began with talking about the righteousness of God being manifested. And he's going to say that again just in a slightly different way in verse 25 when he says God aims to show his righteousness. There in verse 25 again. Paul says that God, though, has delayed his judgment on the rebellion of of man and not immediately punish people for what their sins really deserved. There was forbearance. There was divine patience. And then one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures, it continues his summary here, verse 26. All of this was done to show the righteousness of God at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in God. Jesus. Intensively deal with the problem of your sin and yet also forgive your sin. The answer, friends, is he dealt with it through the cross. It is at the cross that the justice of God and the justification of God converge. The cross was the solution, but it was also an outpouring of mercy leading to forgiveness. Here is the big idea again that I want you to see this evening. God declares the sinner not guilty through grace alone. By faith alone. God declares the sinner not guilty through grace alone, by faith alone. Now, it would be really easy to stop here. This is a very lofty passage. I hope you've been moved by the different facets of the gospel diamond. And we're talking about some amazing things, righteousness of God. We're talking about justification. We're talking about propitiation, we're talking about atonement, all those things are like sermons, theories, like in and of themselves. All of this is deeply theological, just richly doctrinal. And though I believe that increasing in the knowledge of God can deepen our worship of God, I think we need to just take a moment here before we end to look inside and ask ourselves what it means to live these theological truths out in our lives. I am so convicted of just personally how often I can say the right thing theologically. I can express a very like um, clear and biblically sound doctrine. 
But when I'm pressed, when, when, when difficulty comes, how quickly that theology just stays in my head. And it doesn't move down to the heart. And we need to have head and heart as Christians, but we need to just think really quick. Um, these theological ideas express themselves in our lives practically. In life, I believe, this is true for me, that we are looking for ways to be justified. Now, you don't use that word, but, but we are all looking for ways to be validated. We are looking for ways to be approved of. We're looking for ways to be legitimized or to be accepted. It plays itself out in countless ways every day in your life and in mine. Through our work, through our relationships, whatever those relationships might be in your life, through your aspirations, like what you want to do or where you want to go, even in our religious pursuits, our religious activities, we are looking for ways for someone to say to us, you're good. There's a great old film that some of you in this room have not ever heard of, but for those of us that are 40 plus, which is a handful of us, um, we saw this film when we were kids. Or, you know, it's just an older film, I'll just say it that way. In the great old film, Chariots of Fire, one of the characters, the main character actually, is an Olympic runner, and he's good. And he's going for the gold in the 100-yard dash. And someone asks him in the film, why are you working so hard to try to win this gold medal? Why are you training so hard? And here is his words. Here's what he said. When that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And worthy to be known and accepted. And the way that I'm doing that, the way that I'm convincing myself and other people that my existence is justified is that I have got to be the best. So what does that mean? The ring of the crowd and the gold medal points to something that makes him feel justified. By the way, it's not the gold medal. It's not the cheering. There's something underneath those things. It's how those things make him feel. They make him feel worthy. They make him feel accepted and validated. Think of it as, what do you do? You take a resume to the company that you apply to as if to say, this is how I'm worthy of this position. Hire me. Which is another way of saying, accept me. Right? And if your performance record is good enough, you will be hired. And this is true in almost area, every area of life that we experience. Everyone has ways in which they have to perform, like really perform. And friends, it's true with your faith. That if there is a God and you want to have a, a, a spiritual connection with Him, there is something that makes one worthy of that God. Every religion, including Christianity. It's not a vocational record. It's not an academic record. Every religion in the world knows it's a moral record. That's how you get connected to you go to heaven. Now, 
Most religions say that that connection happens by you giving your moral resume, your performance record to that God. You develop a righteousness maybe that makes you worthy of your God. You offer it and if you're good enough, if you're worthy enough, you're accepted. But here is Paul in Romans 3 who's coming along and saying, that ain't it. He is saying your moral record isn't what connects you to God. In fact, Paul is saying your moral record because it is tainted with just one sin is worthless. You need the moral record of another one if you want to be saved. In other words, in Christianity, friends, we have a religion that says that what makes you worthy of God isn't your worthiness, but your lack of worthiness. Your need is what you need. He says it's not just a good record or even a great record that makes you worthy before the one true God, but a divine righteousness, a perfect record available to you as a gift through the person of Jesus. And here's what's beautiful. When we have it in an ongoing way, it can be the end of the struggle that you have for validation. It can be the end of your struggle for worth and for acceptability. See, apart from the Christian gospel, there is no one else, no other place that offers anything like that. All anyone else knows is a righteousness that, that we develop and offer to God. Hope that that God will accept us. But it is only in the Christian gospel that God develops a perfect righteousness and he offers it to us and by it we are accepted if we receive it as a gift. Friends, the Christian gospel is absolutely and utterly the reverse of what any other religion or culture or philosophy or frankly our human hearts actually believes. So if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, this text tonight is good news for you. Just think of how much God has tolerated in your life and how many things you have done which have gone uncovered and unpunished and unaccounted for, yet you and God know that they are there. That, by the way, is why you experience guilt and at times real emptiness. The good news of the gospel is that today could be the day that you see for the first time the full beauty of God's grace. And if you feel yourself drawn to Jesus tonight, I want to invite you to in tonight, like Turn from yourself and place your trust in Jesus. If you need to talk to one of the pastors here tonight, Pastor John, who was just up here earlier doing uh, liturgy, I'm one of the pastors, Ryan, who you saw up here a while ago, J uh, other Pastor John, we would love to talk to you. Find somebody before you leave, we would be honored to talk to you about what it means to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus and receive that, that grace as a, as a gift. But many of us here tonight would claim that we are Christians. <clears throat> Excuse me, Christians. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. One of the things that Paul is doing 
And Romans 3, 21 through 26 is saying that if you are a Christian, you already have an approval that you're searching for. You already have it. The person's opinion who matters most has said, I love you. You're mine. I be you belong to me. So friends, you already have the validation that you're seeking. It's found in the justification of God through grace. It's God who justifies you. You don't justify you. You can't. What a freeing idea. What a freeing, ongoing experience for us as believers. And the gospel is so counterintuitive. There is now a righteousness that is revealed apart from the law. Apart from works. And it's a gift. For anyone who will receive it. Will you receive it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.